Time to get inspired, develop, and improve your yoga knowledge in English. You're listening to Your Yoga in English, a podcast for non-native English-speaking yogis and yoga teachers that want to practice or teach yoga worldwide. My name is Annie, the founder of Enga Unite, and here to guide you on your way to become the confident, effective, and knowledgeable English-speaking yogi you want to be. Hello! Hello, hello, hello. How are you today? Ali is a yoga teacher with many, many, many years of experience. So today we're going to speak about how to organize your own international yoga retreat. And we're asking Ali because he's got experience organizing over 50 international yoga retreats in Asia, in Africa, in Europe maybe even other places that I don't know of, <laughs> but we're going to hear all about it. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. I introduced you a tiny bit, but who are you really? What do we need to know about you? Cool, you need to know about me. You don't need to know anything, but, uh, <laughs> but what I can tell you is um, I've been a yoga teacher for going on nine years now. I live in Egypt. I move around quite a bit right now. I'm uh, up by the coast. It's my favorite place to be. And I've, um, I've organized retreats for the last seven years. This is our, our subject today. And it's one uh, I love to speak about. Maybe my audience will, uh, will find it a little strange given they're the, uh, the, the ones who come on board. And uh, today we're speaking to um, other teachers, right? Who are looking to create programs themselves. But it might also be fun for them to find out how you actually organize it and what, what work goes into it. Yes, perhaps. Let's find <laughs> out. <laughs> Amazing. So that's right. We're going to speak about how to organize your own international retreats. But for the people that are here, most of them are English learners. And so we would like to know from you as well. What is your experience with learning English or maybe learning other languages because you speak more than just English and... Yeah, so I'm, I'm trilingual. I, I, um, yeah. Arabic is my mother tongue, not to say it's my strongest uh, language, my most fluent language. I, I, um, I, I would say English is my strongest language and I went to a French school briefly until... Uh, until we realized the uh, structure was not compatible with, uh, with that of my personality. English um, is a foreign language, technically. It's the one I'm most comfortable uh, speaking, um, communicating in, uh, expressing myself in, and, uh, and, and, and that applies to uh, teaching as well. I've uh, tried to teach in Arabic uh, quite, a, quite a bit. It just doesn't come as fluidly. It becomes a bit too mechanical, too... Um, too mind-centric uh, in the way it unfolds. So I appreciate how difficult it is to, uh, to teach in a, in a language that isn't your, your primary or most comfortable one. Exactly. I, I think what you do is great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Right. And I, we speak about this on the podcast and in, in the, the live interviews a lot, that we study or we do st things in one thing and even though we are fluent in other languages, it doesn't always mean that you then also can teach in that language. No, I, I've read something about how, you know, the way we think, the way our mind operates in one language can be 
very different than the way our own mind operates and unfolds when speaking a different language. And, uh, and so, yes, it's, uh, it, it takes a lot of practice and, uh, and, and science, uh, too, I'm sure, helps a lot. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. So that's great to know. That's great to know. You have been learning English at some point in your life. Yeah. But today, <laughs> speaking about retreats and how to organize them. So before we dive into the logistics and what to take into account, what really or what actually is a retreat? So for me, a retreat is an opportunity. Are wonderful. But sometimes it takes just as much time to get to and from a class as the class itself here in, uh, in Egypt, in Cairo in particular. So when we go away on a retreat, it's an opportunity to deep dive into the work, this work of, of getting to know yourself, of, uh, of growing more conscious, of uh, inquiring after your physical body, your emotional uh, baggage <laughs> and understanding how the mind works so a retreat is an opportunity to go to an environment that is really a stage right it's set up for the practice and just to dive deeply into the work it's an opportunity to take a yoga class and then not go to work and take a yoga class and then not Go back to being mommy, being daddy. Not that there's anything wrong with being mommy or daddy, but we want to explore what's beyond the, the bounds of our conditioning, right? The personality as we know it. What's, what's beyond that? So a meditation practice certainly serves that end. But uh, to spend six days, seven days, um, even a weekend in a location where this work And whatever your intention is, that's what defines the direction of the work. But this work becomes the, the focus, the, 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 the first, the last, and, and the way is just so beneficial. I find it deeply satisfying to, to see the journey and the after effects of the work we do for students, for clients. And, uh, and the feedback confirms that it's, it's, it's just such a fruitful opportunity to go to a controlled environment, focus on the work, get to be not the person you, you usually are, right? And we get a taste of this when we go on vacation. You uh, land in a new... So, uh, so for me, that's what a retreat mm -hmm. is. It's an opportunity to do the work in an environment that supports it completely. Mm -hmm. And... Let's speak about some examples of retreats and maybe what their benefits are. Because you already mentioned you can go for six days or for a week or for two days, a weekend. What types of retreats could we think of? It's a good question because I'm, I'm seeing uh, today online retreats, right? Retreats where uh, you join a group uh, for a live session, uh, you break out into rooms and do activities and come back. Of course, that's not what we're talking about, but the point is there are many different types of retreats. So retreats can be short or long. They can be local or international. They can be simple in what they offer or offer a full and comprehensive itinerary. So there are so many different kinds of retreats. And um, I, I wouldn't say that there's one that's better than all the rest. Sometimes it's nice to just get away for the day, somewhere 20 minutes from the city and just get a refresher on the work or take a break from 
from the busyness of your day-to-day -day life. And, um, and other times you're traveling far away. And, and so a whole seven days is necessary. We've been to India and spent, uh, I think we spent 12 whole nights there. And still it left us feeling like we could, we could do with a couple more nights. So um, many different kinds of retreats. And I think it, um, it all comes back to what the intention is, how far is the location we're going to, and what's the, um, what's the, what's the work we're, we're undertaking. If you're more um, appropriate, a week would certainly help you get the reins of the work a lot better. So it really depends, but many different kinds of retreats. Mm -hmm, exactly. I see many different retreats that have very specific outcomes or very specific, not even goals, but things that they focus on. Like, for example, a retreat to find back your inner child or a retreat to only for women, a retreat only for men as well. Could, could you come up with some examples as such? Yeah, I think it comes back to what you're your focus, the focus of your work as a uh, teacher, an instructor is. So I've taught programs that were breath specific. Uh, I call mm -hmm. that the, the wonder of, uh, the wonder of breath. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. It's been, uh, it's been quite a while. <laughs> there are retreats that are solely focused on meditation or, um, retreats, you know, yin yoga retreats where, where you uh, you really explore the physical, mental, emotional aspects of uh, of letting go, allowing, and it really it's it's really up to you. I mean, um, one could come up with a retreat that is meant to uh, help you overcome your fears, and so you uh, you do your yoga, you do your meditation, and then maybe at some point you dive out of a plane, and and the, <laughs> you know that's the the beauty of a retreat. It's uh, it's for you as a teacher facilitator or facilitator to curate and there are no rules there are no bounds it's just a matter of a planning and execution mm -hmm. exactly so then we've got some ideas we know maybe about the length of the retreat how do we organize this because there's a lot of different factors that we have to bear in mind uh, there's a lot of time that actually goes into the planning and into the organization where do you start Number one, what is your intention? What are you hoping to um, achieve, teach, deliver, mm -hmm. share? Start with that. Get clear on that. And then the, the next thing is understand your, your audience, your tribe. Uh, more than likely, the people who will come on retreat are um, those who attend your regular, regular schedule of classes, whether that's at the studio or online. There will be other people who join, but um, if you focus on your audience and you come up with some sort of feedback me me mechanism, you can get a sense of uh, what their preferences are. What kind of food do they want to eat or maybe need to eat? What's their budget? That's a tricky one, but still you can, uh, you can get a sense. Do they want to travel near or far? What um, time of the year is better for them? If they're school teachers, it'll need to coincide with a public holiday, a school holiday. If they're moms, more than likely, they'll uh, be saving those dates for family time. So get to know your audience and define your budget. And I don't mean define, I mean broadly understand what the price range of your offering will be. And then the next step is choose a destination. Choose a destination and 
investigate the flights? Did you uh, did you have a question? Oh, one quick question about that, please. Because you spoke about the budget, and I think that's a really good thing. Is this the budget that you have to organize, or the budget that the people have that will come on your retreat? It's both, but um, you could take either a bottom-up or a top-down approach. But um, if we're speaking about getting the feedback of your audience, you want to get a sense of what they're ready to spend on a retreat or what is appropriate to for a retreat. And now we're talking about the price tag. And then you can work yeah. backwards. You can start to find accommodation that will fit into those guidelines that budget you can start to um, allocate activities meals that uh, that still keep it under that budget so you can work either way bottom up or top down but if if we're talking about understanding your your tribe your audience then uh, we're talking about the final price right yeah exactly exactly and we'll come back to we'll come back to budget in in a moment okay but generally (laughs) i was too fast exactly all right so then you said number two number three choose a destination and look into the flights if it's um, an international retreat don't just go based on the availability of the accommodation you want to make sure that uh, flights arrive to coincide with your dates make sure your your flight you're clear on the dates of the flight because there's nothing worse than booking a flight at midnight on X day and showing up realizing you're late. Consider the the travel time, when they'll get in, how uh, how, how long it'll take to get to the hotel, and um, and then book your dates accordingly or start to investigate your accommodation um, options accordingly. And as far as accommodation, you've got plenty of choices. I see a lot of um, yoga teachers booking villas, and um, I'm sure there's a a lot of wisdom to that. You have a small contained environment that's completely yours. But for me, working out of the um, the infrastructure that a hotel or eco lodge or camp, some sort of facility offers, for me that that's great. It also means if I'm going with a hotel or eco lodge more than likely there's flexibility as far as the rooms. So if you're booking a villa, you're booking five rooms or seven rooms. Maybe you're lucky you found a 10, 12-room villa, but that's it. And if you book just 10 of the 12, you're paying for the 12 anyway. If you get 15, 20 requests, you can't satisfy them all. So a hotel gives you the flexibility. Now, if you're booking way in advance and and your audience is the sort that is forward oriented uh, plans ahead then maybe you don't have that issue maybe you don't need to be too concerned about the availability of uh, extra rooms catering to egypt and the arab world and we like to leave things late so it's it's nice to have a couple of extra rooms left over so beyond that you want to consider where you're going to practice right I mean, that's the, the core. That's the why people are turning up. They're turning up for the practice. So do you have a space that is checks all the boxes? So is it shaded if you're practicing in the morning? Is it, uh, is it outdoors given COVID? Is it quiet? 
is there a, a generator that turns on every other hour? And if that's the case, then maybe ask them to make an exception, turn it off, or maybe book your, your class for the hour where it's quiet. Consider the practice space. Find out how many rooms are available to you. What's the cancellation policy is. Figure out the bedding because you might have um, 10 rooms that have twin beds and, and that means your, your true capacity is 20 people or there are 10 rooms with king beds and uh and then you're in a position uh where you know you can only book couples or very close friends so ask about the bedding the food and again it has to be in line with uh, what your audience uh requires if they have uh, dietary restrictions look at the hotel's COVID protocol protocols. Some hotels are, are, are great. They have really high standards and hold to them. Other hotels claim high standards, standards and deliver something else. And then uh, there are those who really haven't addressed COVID at all. So this is something to consider and investigate. And, um, and finally, do your due diligence. Look at reviews. Try to get as many perspectives on this property um, as you can. Find out what it actually feels and looks like because a hotel can represent them, themselves one way online and then you can um, you, you arrive and find out they, they just did a great job decorating that one demo room, lighting it up uh, beautifully, taking some professional photographs, but the reality doesn't match. Right. So do your due diligence. Find out how many of the rooms have a nice view, and 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 then that you communicate later. Right. You can make it um, one of the uh, bonuses of uh, booking early, for example, or offer that as a reward to returning customers, uh, your regular students. Yeah. So figure out your accommodation. Exactly. And I would really emphasize the importance of of being clear on the cancellation policy and, and negotiating directly with the facility because yeah. they'll save money, right? If you're not going through booking.com or, or some uh, online travel agency and they'll probably pass that on to you or at least a portion to you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I've got one last question about location and accommodation Please. because when we go to a certain place and we might not actually have been there before, how do you find these locations? Because there's a lot online, there's a lot of different hotels. Are there websites or apps or maybe resources that can tell you more about yogic locations and yogic accommodation, really, in these type of locations? That's a great question. So I would recommend if you're, if you're new to this, and, and maybe even if you've uh, been doing it for a while, stick to locations you've been to book properties you've visited whilst on vacation. But um, if that's not the case, if you've not been there before, there are still ways to um, find the right hotel to figure out what you'll do. And one of them is to get in touch with the hotel. Don't just do it via, you know, some uh, agencies. Write them emails, call inquire be clear and usually they're understanding and if they're not maybe that's a red flag they're understanding that you are a group operator you're the person who is bringing a number of people and so you 
have all these questions, you have this due diligence, ask them endless questions. Maybe make a list and every time you have a good number of questions, send, send it over and notice how they communicate because that's quite telling in terms of the service you'll get, the support you'll get on the ground on the day. Also, finding a local partner, a friend of a friend, an agency with good reviews, a fixer, an operator. That's a great way to have local support that really gets the culture, helps you navigate the terrain and uh, can visit the hotel maybe and uh, and just um, double check those things that are still of concern after you've spoken to the facility. Exactly. But I, w- I would say start, pick a location you've been to and you're comfortable. Yeah, exactly. That's a great tip. I think I would agree with that. It's always better to actually have a feel for the place and having been there, having been in touch with those people before already. Absolutely. It means you're comfortable. It means you're able to um, to teach from from that exactly. security, that car, that place of confidence. Exactly. The worst thing, worst thing in the world, is to be in an unfamiliar place with a group of people who aren't themselves settled, and to be disheveled yourself, to be out of uh, out okay. of center. So, um, so the prep work is really key. Mm-hmm. One thing to prevent that type of feeling as well is something that I've seen people do, but I I would do that myself as well, is to go to the venue a couple of days earlier than the retreat starts, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It gives you a chance to to rest and recover on your own time, to get centered. I uh, When I travel to Bali, it's uh, it's between 15 and 23 hours of travel, so I make sure I arrive early. I uh, book myself a massage on ar- arrival. I go attend a yoga class. I have myself a mini retreat, and then I'm uh, <laughs> to receive my uh, my group and and do so uh, fresh, you know, exactly. on point. Exactly. So that's a that's a great uh, great piece of advice. Mm-hmm. So we know who it's for. We know the more, maybe the demographics, the budget. We have a location or accommodation. What's next? <laughs> we're, and we're clear on our intention in the first place. Like, well, yes. why are we traveling, right? Is it to yeah. uh, adventure? Is it to center? Is it to uh, to do some cultural touring? Or are we going to a place that's isolated so we can just, you know, really go into um, the, the pressure cooker of the work? Mm-hmm. And then next, you start to curate your program. Now that you figured out your accommodation, you start to um, create the itinerary. What are you going to do beyond the morning class or the morning and afternoon class or the morning, afternoon and evening practice? Uh, are you going to offer something beyond the yoga? Um, are you going to emphasize free time? And, and there are no rules, right? You do what, um, what you like, what you think is worthwhile is needed, right? You're, you're coming back to your intention to see, is this activity in line with what I'm trying to deliver? But you, you curate a program. There are 24 hours in a day and never will you appreciate the full meaning of that as much as you will when you're responsible for a group in a foreign place or a remote remote place, hopefully. So consider what you're going to do. And you don't have to do something every minute or every hour of the day, but, but people will look to you for direction. So yeah. to say, 
free time now. Free time for the next hour, for the next three, or today is your free afternoon is, uh, is important. In fact, people will probably ask for a sample of your program while making a decision on whether or not to join or on arrival. So um, that's an important one. Figure out how your day, days will unfold, what you'll do between practices, and maybe how your practice will come into the schedule, the things you have planned. So in Bali, for example, we go, uh, we go for a beautiful walk, the Kampuhan Trail, and, uh, and it's an opportunity to be mindful out. So for a portion of our walk, we put our phones away, we, we abide by silence, we take in the environment and really take our time with that walk, the uphill part of our mind our breath so we're bringing the practice into um an activity that we're doing we're we're taking uh meditation from being a passive practice to more active practice so your program can be part of the practice your activity can be part of the practice or they can just be leisurely uh have to do with culture touring shopping but uh, consider when are people going to do the shopping if you're going somewhere exotic far from home when will they have an opportunity to go buy the gifts they're going to bring home? It's, um, it's something to consider. Oh, build your program. And, and related to that is decide what's included. What are the inclusions? Are you that dinner you built into the schedule? Are you paying? It's an optional item um, that people can decide to skip, for example. Anyway, life is optional. People should... Uh, be allowed to do what they like uh, within uh, fair uh, <laughs> within the region. <laughs> so that's it. Curate a program and decide what's included. From there, you build your day-to-day -day itinerary, right? You start to place things into the schedule. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think whatever you decide, just make sure things aren't too packed unless you're communicating that it is an intensive program, it is an immersion, for example. Exactly. I completely agree with you. I think a lot of teachers in general get super excited and they want to do four or five, six th things every day. And not only for the people that are on the retreat, it's a lot, but for you as a teacher, having to be Absolutely. present and having to be in front of the group all the time, yeah, it's very necessary Absolutely. to plan breaks or plan free time, like you said. So one one of the thir first things you you realize is uh, is just that there's um, a scarcity of time when you're the facilitator when you're holding space. A there's a lack of time for your practice, for naps, for uh, showers, maybe even. So build in a little extra time, and people do appreciate that. You'll need it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Are there any other things that we need to bear in mind? Because there's a lot, this is all in terms of organization. But while you are there, things might happen or don't really go to plan. <laughs> I think, I think that's, that's the rule of, uh, of leading retreats. Unless, you're, uh, unless you've done, uh, done this retreat a half dozen times at that location, you're familiar with the staff and the, uh, um, the activities you're doing. But that, that's to be ex expect the unexpected. Um, I did have a few more items on my list. And the next one is budget. Mm -hmm. Create 
open an Excel sheet, create an itemized budget, right? If yeah. you're taking people to, or you're meeting people in Bali, you're receiving a group to, to Bali, you have to list all of your costs from mm -hmm. taxi or train ride to the airport to the pickup on the other side, your flight, your accommodation, those extra night, that extra night or two, maybe your your meals, right? No, definitely your meals. I was going to say maybe your your massage. That is a business expense, right? It so is. you have to account for all of this, as well as your visa, miscellaneous entries, the long distance calls you're uh, you're making, planning up to the retreat. So these are your costs. You got to make a yeah. list of those. And then from those, you're going to draw the items that apply to your your clients, your students, your retreat goers. So you're not responsible for their visa cost, but you're more than likely including their accommodation costs, that extra dinner you're taking them to, or three, right? You, you decide what's included. The bike ride, if it's part of the program. Mm. Gifts, giveaways. Goodie bags. <laughs> there, there are so so many things i mean you might decide to include sim cards right it really depends uh, how you're deciding to go so so build these into an excel sheet and make decide how you're going to distribute your costs what i do usually is um list my costs tally that up figure out what the total is and portion it out over X number of retreat goers. So I'm dividing by dividing by seven or dividing by eight. Each retreat goer will be contributing to a portion of my costs. And then of course, the income. And um, income is something you have to consider really well. It's not just a factor of the morning class and the afternoon session you teach, but all the time that goes into planning your retreat, right? This is your time. This is your effort. This has to be reflected in the cost of the re retreat, as does the responsibility of holding space, because a retreat is not like a class. Retreat involves classes, but it requires and demands a whole lot more. You're there, you're holding space, and you may be the sort of person who holds a whole lot of space, your, your program is uh, includes a number of uh, sessions and group activities. So that's one way to go. The other way is to just organize a morning class and evening class and be clear on the, on, the, on the fact that midday you're free to do what you like. I'll be hanging out on the, uh, by the pool, for example. But if you really are spending time holding space, making sure people are, are getting the benefit of what it is you're delivering, then make sure you value the time it takes, the effort it takes, and build that into the budgets too. So that's budget. And I mean, we could do a, a whole talk with, uh, with some screen sharing of an Excel sheet on budget, but uh, I, I, I would just, just say, thinking that. <laughs> list everything out, be conservative. It's better to over budget than under budget. If you come out with a surplus, no big deal. But if you come out under and multiply that by the number of retreat goers, it's, um, it's awful. It's awful to mm -hmm. spend all this time planning, go away, teach, hold space, 
and then come home and find you paid to uh, to work all those hours. So be conservative, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. These are really, really, really great advices. Um, and like you said, now that you're speaking about the budget, I'm thinking this is a presentation. This could be a, a training in itself. I think the same goes for marketing and promoting it and how to design your flyers or maybe send out the emails. These are completely different chats. I do want right. to ask you about safety and maybe cancellation policies or people that maybe need to get insurances because they go abroad. How do you go about this? Things happen. And uh, COVID uh, has been a real life demonstration for all of us that things happen. And even outside of COVID, I've had, I've had uh, an attempted coup in Turkey cause... Uh, a retreat to be cancelled, a volcano coming alive in uh, in Bali uh, necessitate that I reassess my cancellation policy going to yeah. Bali. COVID, uh, I think, disrupted plans for many people. So, yes, you, you want to consider possibilities and then create a very clear, on-point cancellation policy and there are templates online and if you get in touch i'd be happy to uh, if anyone gets in touch with me i'd be happy to share mine it's important to be clear on what your terms are if you cancel um early if you cancel on the day uh, will you get your money back to what extent will you get your money back things happen and over the years you're guaranteed to meet many different scenarios so spend some time considering the possibilities and know that things will happen outside of those bounds. I always recommend for my travels to travelers to buy travel insurance, and that covers things like natural disasters and maybe coups as well. And and maybe maybe where you live, insurance for a yoga teacher, a retreat organizing yoga teacher is a thing. It isn't where I live, unfortunately. Where I I live, unfortunately, but. Uh, then again, at least you can uh, you can be clear on your own cancellation policy. And um, and when you're talking about a cancellation policy, your job is to not only be clear with your clients, but to negotiate the terms with the hotel. What if one of uh, my 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 retreat goers tests positive the day before their flight? What what will the situation uh, entail in that case? And 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 nowadays. This is a big portion of your cancellation policy, the terms you can then offer to your retreat goers. Great advice. Really, really great advice. I hope we don't need the last <laughs> last type of question in the future, in the soon future, near future. <laughs> but I think it will be a thing for a while. So it's a good good thing to include indeed. I think I think in any case, any case, one should have a cancellation policy that's very, oh, very clear. Because if you do, um, if you do one retreat and you have ten people sign up, chances are one of those ten people won't make it. So, what is a procedure we're we're following in that situation? And does it differentiate between person who decided that they don't want to come and uh, someone on the other hand who is unable to come? because of sickness or you know, missing a flight, for example. That's up to you, but it's important to be very clear. Exactly, exactly. Really good point. I would say after you create your program, 
just go back and look over the itinerary and see where you can bring more value. And value doesn't necessarily have to be paid for. It doesn't have to be material. Value can be, it can be material. It can be, you know, the airport pickup you provide. And that's a great way to make your retreat goers feel like they're taken care of. Include airport pickup. Why not drop off? Um, If it's in your budget, it costs you nothing, right? But it's a service that just makes people comfortable. There's someone there, your name waiting for you at the airport. How lovely. I don't have to worry about, you know, having the right currency, speaking the right language, finding, differentiating between the the legit taxi from the, the scam service. So person there with my name, that adds a lot of value. Um, value can also be in terms of where you stop to take a break on your way to that far away site temple excursion you're going on. A nice coffee shop in a rice, rice field uh, can add a lot of value to your program for the day. So come back and weave in the, uh, the value if, 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 if you can. And um, I would say also speak to the locals because I've, I've made the mistake of assuming that my program for my following Bali retreat will hold when in fact it overlapped with a full moon. And, and, and if you've been to Bali, you know, a lot of time goes into preparing for, for ceremonies. So if you're there during a ceremony and uh, you have... Um, you know, taken for granted that this local communal space is available for your practice, you're going to run into trouble because that's where people gather. That's where people, uh, the locals make their preparations. So just speak to a local, make sure that your plan makes sense. Um, Not just that, it's not just a matter of conflicts, but also opportunities. I mean, Rather than scheduling a yoga class uh, in the space that is unavailable because of the ceremony, maybe, maybe you can take your group, meet the locals, get to know a little bit about their culture, understand why they're celebrating the full moon. And more than likely, that ties into your practice or something you've been discussing. So speak to the locals after you've planned it all and just make sure it makes sense make sure you're not missing uh, an opportunity or uh, or uh, headed towards a conflict and and then finally my last piece of major advice in planning a retreat is be authentic sometimes we try too hard sometimes we try too hard to be something we are not remember that people sign up to come with you god knows there are so many yoga retreats and maybe a portion of those who end up coming, we're just, we're drawn by that date or the location. But people show up for you. Uh, it's a big part of the consideration. So be authentic. Don't stretch yourself too thin. Don't try to teach something you've not offered before. Um, yeah. Be true to, be true to you. And, um, and that in itself has a lot of value. And then I had a couple of miscellaneous things. Consider the culture, the culture of the people who are coming with you, your audience, the culture of the locals you'll be visiting. Are you dressed appropriately to walk through the market to visit that temple? Are your are there uh, things you should know, like don't show teeth to the monkeys? That's that's something you'll learn from speaking to the locals. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned negotiating directly with the hotel, valuing your 
effort and time, finding local fixers or partners. Sometimes getting in touch with a local studio adds so much value and for you personally, security because you get some advice or you're offered passes to their studio and uh, and it just adds a whole lot of value and uh, mm-hmm. and stability to your schedule. Absolutely. Consider collaborations with local teachers, local for you or local over there. And uh, yeah, we talked about safeguards and uh, cancellation policy. So mm-hmm. we've covered everything on my list. <laughs> Every, well, yes, I asked all the questions that I had for you. I really liked the advice you, you gave at the end to really stay authentic and to be to teach what you know. This is something that we always speak about when you teach in general, when you teach a class or when you want to work, organize a workshop. But there's so often times that teachers put so much pressure on themselves because they think they need to do something specifically or they need to be a certain person to be seen as a good yoga teacher. So, yes. Absolutely. It's one of the things I found consumed most of my energy, trying to, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser, unfortunately, by nature. I'll take that unfortunately back, but it is both my uh, my gift and my challenge. So on retreat, I have a sense that I am not the center of attention, but that there is attention on me at times where I just want to be by the pool or just want to eat what I want to eat. And I've learned to um, to be myself, to to be forthcoming and transparent, to recognize that this just uh, it requires. Uh, Less effort, right? To be you is is effortless. And the opposite of that, you know, not to eat the food you like to eat because you want to be perceived as more vegetarian or conscientious than you are is is not going to hold for long. So just be you. It, it's a load off. It makes your audience comfortable in their own skin as well. And... Uh, and it's the best way to save your energy when you're on retreat. And that, that you'll find, is, is a priority. Great. Yeah, I, com- <laughs> I completely agree. And, and actually got some flashbacks of times where I've seen teachers or maybe been in a position myself that maybe, you know, this <laughs> it's just better to be yourself. And like you said, Absolutely. save energy. Save your energy. You need it. You really need it on retreats. <laughs> And it makes people comfortable when you Absolutely. are yourself. It allows people to let their guard down and so to be themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Amazing. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, the topic of today's uh, conversation was how to organize an international retreat. But I would say start local. Start somewhere close to home. There's a safety and ease that comes with knowing that you're just an hour from your city, your home turf. And it also translates to your uh, your clients, your students. I mean, you may have an international base, an online following across different countries, but if they're concentrated in a location, For them, it's a lot easier to mentally easier, emotionally easier to sign up for that retreat that is just 45 minutes or or an hour and a half from home versus 19 hours flight away and uh, in a completely different uh, geographic, cultural, 
uh, linguistic setting. So start local, start simple, start with a shorter time frame. Do that a couple of times and then uh, and then look to an international retreat that's a little longer. Mm-hmm. Great. That would advice. be my advice. Things that we could add to this. Like we said, there's a, a whole marketing aspect. There's a whole budget aspect. And those really are two different chats as well. But for now, I really, really, really want to thank you for your time and for sharing your expertise and all your knowledge and your experience doing this. Because I think for the teachers in our community and everyone that's been watching today, it's really, really, really useful to have this knowledge and to get an idea from where to really start. For many teachers, it's something that they want to do, but how to really get your head around it could be an obstacle. Annie, that's okay. I was saying... It's, it's been my pleasure. And I'd just like to add that, you know, begin. Teach what you're comfortable with, uh, with in a place you're familiar with and just start. There's um, no such thing as perfection. We and our practice and our offerings are a work in progress. And, and sometimes you just need to begin. Exactly. Very nice. Very nice. We're going to leave that there. A really, really nice piece of advice to, to end the chat with. Again, Ali, thank you so much. Pleasure. I will speak to you very pleasure. soon again. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Namaste. See you later, everyone. And remember, if you have any questions, just send a message and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you feel inspired and like what you learned today, I'd love for you to leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Enga Unite. Join the community and become a member of the Teach Yoga in English support group on Facebook. Practice, rest, repeat and all will come.